All right. We are in a series called Disciple. You know, throughout our journeys of following Jesus, you have various iterations where you're sobered by the scriptures, yeah? We take all of the scriptures, which is going to be the emphasis today. We see them. We rehearse them. And then the Holy Spirit puts great attention and emphasis on certain scriptures in season because he's wanting to grow something or bring something forward. And we felt as a team heading into this year that uh, the Great Commission and all things that are Jesus and the way of Jesus called discipleship was the place of emphasis that we were to stay until we leave and transition this building. Um, We find that the end of Jesus' ministry and life here on the earth before he just beams up into the stratosphere, he leaves some incredible words that we've been sobered by, that we've been taking uh, with greater, I don't know, maybe a greater level of seriousness and sobriety as a leadership team and thus as a church family. Um, That's in Matthew 28, which we'll look at here in a second. But we've been using an image to help us understand the way of Jesus and been using some hand motions uh, to help us learn the way of Jesus. Um, so this is a heads up. If you've not been here before, you're going to have to stand up and do hand motions. If I'm you and I'm visiting a church and they ask me to do hand motions, I'm probably annoyed. It's just, it's okay. I bless you to be annoyed and to be like, why are we doing hand motions? Sometimes I ask myself, why are we doing hand motions? And yet I remind myself why we're doing hand motions in this public moment, which is that we learn in different ways. And On a Sunday, we're predominantly listening, right? But I love that we get to interact. I love that we get to do motions that help us take in and appreciate and learn what Jesus has asked us to do. So um, let's uh, turn to that house image, if you would there, John. Maybe I can control it. So this is a house. And... Most importantly, at the foundation of the house is Jesus. There is one cornerstone. He is the chief cornerstone upon which everything is built. It is upon uh, that rock that we, as a family and as individuals, are building our life. You see at the top, the roof represents Father, Son, and Spirit. And that image of a stick man holding a younger stick man's hand, that would be you. You would be the younger stick man right now in this moment. Uh, That is our Father. Uh, We put that picture there because uh, Father is truly a Father. We believe that with all of our hearts, that He is not the distant God who just, you know, speaks the commands and we have to adhere to them, but He is a Father who draws near intimately and speaks over each one of us that we are beloved sons and daughters, and that's why we're holding hands with Him. The King is there to the right, Jesus. The, The bird is the Holy Spirit. Inside of this house, we have these walls of loving each other and loving the world around us. Uh, We've called them the three loves since we planted this church, that our lives as a church family were to be given over to loving him as our first and foremost calling, to loving each other, which is not always easy, and to loving the world around us, which is the Great Commission and some of the things that we're unpacking here today. All right, you ready to do these hand motions? So at the end of Matthew 28, Jesus says, To his beloved disciples, go into all the world, make disciples, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. So like, wow, that's that's a lot. What the heck? What does all of that mean? And so as we've studied the scriptures, we've taken nine commands 
that house a whole bunch of stuff that Jesus invites us into. And so we're looking at one of those today, and we're going to do the hand motions to represent what those are. So the first command and that image there is to repent and believe. Yeah? All right, so let's stand and do this. I'll put this mic down again. For all those who are annoyed, it's going to be over soon. Well done. That's the first command. Repent and believe. We turn away. That's why the arrow, you're going your own direction. Repent is to turn from your own way to Jesus' way and believe. All right. The second one, which we covered last week, is be baptized with water and then with the Holy Spirit. That's right. Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, this is That's right. Be baptized in water and with the Holy Spirit. All right. Well done. You, oh, uh, wait, no. One more. Okay. Annoyances can be settled. Grievances can be formally offered at the end of the gathering. <laughs> Direct them to Katie, the pregnant lady, because you can only be so harsh with a pregnant lady. As we all know, that to be true. Devoted to the word. We're going to look at this beautiful devotion, this command. I hope when you hear the word command, you're retraining your brain and your heart to not kick like a mule. Sometimes the word command conjures up negative emotions and feelings. Maybe it, it makes you feel like, whoa, what the heck? Is that God, just the, the do-gooder, just commanding us all sorts of things? No, his commands are not burdensome. Can we say that together? His commands are not burdensome. The best news about commands and obedience is that he is in you and he is with you to live out his commands. If you are trying to obey everything that Jesus commanded you in your own strength, you are going to fail miserably and be perpetually frustrated. And you will find yourself just thinking, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. Yes, that's exactly right. Well done. You can't do it. That is good news for all of us. In and of ourselves, we cannot do it. We need the spirit who dwells within us, who is the spirit of Jesus, to live in and through us to obey his commands. We need his help, man. We need his help to obey. So we're looking at the devotion of the scriptures. If you remember the early church in Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the scriptures. It is a bedrock of our lives. It is a bedrock of the church to devote ourselves to the scriptures. And we're going to spend particular emphasis on obedience as a part of our devotion. Um, there you go. That was Matthew 28. Uh, this is Matthew 7:24. At the end of the teaching, we're actually going to do a discovery Bible study out of this. But I wanted to read this here at the outset as we consider our devotion, as we consider obedience to the Scriptures. This is a teaching from Jesus in Matthew 7. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice... You can also think of the word obedience, who obeys them. It's like a man, a wise man, who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine, does not put them into practice, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, 
and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Uh, everything, let me say the majority of what I've learned about obedience, I've learned through obeying. Uh, the best way to discover the beauty of obedience is to begin to obey. I don't recall having obeyed anything that Jesus asked me to do scripturally or spoken form that I looked back and regretted. I always looked back, even when it was hard, and thought, I'm so glad I pressed through and obeyed, that I trusted him, that I listened, that I responded to his word. It's not always easy. Obedience is not always easy. Usually the ones that taste the best are the ones that cost the most, that have some difficulty or some sacrifice associated with them. If you were here a couple weeks ago, we had a guest speaker, Jim Yost, which was brilliant. Apologies that we couldn't uh, record that. That was his request for his own personal and family's safety, that we not record and post that to our uh, podcast. Uh, at the end of Jim's teaching, though, he had all of us take three minutes and ask Jesus, what are you asking me to do? And then to purpose and prioritize responding to him within 48 hours. How many were here for that? Jim Yost, obedience. It was amazing. Um, so we did that, and we partnered up, and we shared what we were going to respond to and obey that Jesus spoke to us. Uh, I went home that day and responded to what Jesus told me and was blown away by the impact and fruit that it had in responding. I heard a week or two later from a family who had been pondering for some time foster care. That morning, Jesus speaks to them. Now is the time, and they're proactively now signing up for foster care. That's incredible. Like, that is amazing to listen to Jesus, respond, and glorify him with our obedience and to glorify him with the fruit of responding to him in obedience. The scriptures are our anchor point. I love the word of God. It has been a faithful friend to me for as long as I can remember. I am a little weary that for us who have instant access to the scriptures, I have probably 10 Bibles in my house, that the familiarity of the scriptures could uh, unknowingly breed some just lethargy or passivity around the scriptures. Um, my friend Chud, Nathan and Marissa helped us plant the boiler room years ago, and uh, Nate had an amazing opportunity to go into Afghanistan. It was maybe 2004, 2003, something like that. And he was going with a missionary who had a disciple that was there. And it's one of those classic missionary stories where they have to, like, drive in in the cover of night, hiding in the trunk, you know. And they arrive at this house where this man had been in hiding because he was a marked individual. He had been a follower of Jesus for some time and was sharing Jesus. And the Taliban knew about it, and they wanted to get him. And in fact, they had gotten him years before, had beaten him. He had lost his ability to see, became blind through persecution, and now had been in hiding for some time. So they drive in on the cover of night, and they meet this man. So Nate is now telling us the story when he gets back. So they go in there, and you know, they exchange pleasantries for 10 minutes. And then the man says, could we read the good book together? So Nate opens up his pocket Bible, and the man's name was Timothy, so he thinks, well, let's, let's read Timothy. Opens to 2 Timothy and begins to read the Lord. And just as he gets two words out, the man is just, yes, you're the Lord. The Lord has not given us a spirit. No, you've not given us a spirit of fear. Thank you, God. You've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. Yes, power. 
Thank you, Jesus, your power. It says it took him over a half hour to read one chapter of Scripture because of the sincerity of this man who had been without the Scriptures for some time. And his soul, his spirit, his mind was so thirsty to hear the Scriptures again. Nate said probably for the first five minutes, he kind of chuckled because it was like over. It, it seemed overboard, but he realized quickly, five minutes, that it was the most sincere engagement of the scriptures he's ever tasted in his life and brought that back to us. And for those who remember that Prestiges and others will remember, if it was the, the beauty of the fear of the Lord, the beauty of humility, of recognizing this incredible book, these incredible words, it is the word. They are his words they are his hope, they are his life, they are his peace, they are his beauty, they are given to us. Oh, I want to read the scriptures like that more and more and more, hey? I'm aware that I don't, and let's be honest, not every moment is going to be like that, but man, let us have more of them in our lives than less. Receiving the word by faith, responding to the word in obedience, it is the way of fruitfulness, friends. It is the way to grow. It is the best for us. It's not just a good idea. It is the best idea to receive the word and to respond to it in obedience. Um, I read some uh, stunning quotes this week about the scriptures. The first from uh, Gandhi, which is, of course, a little bit of a surprise. He says, you Christians look after a document containing enough dynamite to blow all of civilization to pieces. Turn the world upside down and bring peace to a battle-torn planet, but you treat it as though it is nothing more than a piece of literature. Ah, that's a hard one. That's a hard one as an outsider, a non-believer, peering in, knowing these words, seeing us who follow him and seeing the disparaging gap. All right, a little softer. John Adams, sixth president, said the first and almost the only book deserving of universal attention is the Bible. I speak as a man of the world and I say to you, search the scriptures. There is no other book like the Bible. There is no other book like the Bible. It is living, it is active, it's why that beautiful believer in Afghanistan is responding with longing is because he's tasting food he hasn't tasted in a while. He remembers, it is alive, it gets in you, it does a work in you as it challenges, as it encourages, as it exhorts, as it reminds you of who God is and who you are. I remember being a um, maybe 10-year-old kid when I first started to like read the Bible, you know, I think my mom every three years would buy me a new Bible just with a different cover, thinking maybe it would, like, excite me, you know? No parents in the room have ever been guilty of that. The electric blue adventure Bible, the camo Bible, you know. Um, it's beautiful, and I love it, and it made an impact. And so uh, I, I have a faint memory as maybe a 10-year-old opening up the Old Testament and reading a very obscure story and being super distraught, and, like, Dad has to come in and try to, like, Toff me off the, that, like, not the edge, but just out of, like, the abyss in the clouds. Some of the scriptures are bizarre. They're a little confusing. 
And especially as a young man, I'm reading this, I'm like, I don't understand what is going on here. That's okay. For some, that's still like the Bible is at a distance because I'm trying to assimilate this and figure this out. But man, some of these things are just throwing me. Stay with it. Stay in this process. Uh, It's good. So as I get to be an adult, again, discovering the beautiful friend and safety that the scriptures are. I remember Molly and I were two years into marriage, and I start to feel the father uh, drawing us in to have kids. That's just how it came. I had a desire, and I sensed he was speaking. It didn't make any sense in the natural. I didn't have a job. I was doing all this ministry stuff and wasn't getting paid. Molly was near the point of being unemployed for other reasons. It just didn't make sense in the natural to do that. And I remember I was reading through the Psalms, and I get to a Psalm 128, and it says, your wife will be a fruitful vine within your house, and your children will be like olive shoots around your table. And it was as if God had, was speaking those very words to me. Because when the scripture is received, it releases confidence to you. It tells you that it is possible. It tells you that he is with you. So as I read that Psalm 128, as I feel the prompting around it, and as I read the scriptures, we're able to step out in faith. And about 45 days later or so, we were pregnant, which was fantastic. We need the assurance of the word. In the New Testament, the Greek uses two words when referring to the word. It uses this word called rhema, which is like special personal revelation when Jesus speaks to you, and it uses the word logos, which is the written word. It's the written revealed word. My dad loved the word rhema. He he used it all the time. I didn't understand it until, again, I was later in age. He loved the word rhema. I remember I told him uh, maybe a decade ago or so that we were going to be taking a trip to China or that there was an opportunity to take a trip to China. He's like, China, huh? You better have some rhema on that. It's like, it's like he's talking about hot sauce. We got their noodles. Better get a little hot sauce on that. What you talking about, China? Better get a little rhema on that. And he was referring to like the personal speaking confirmation of God's voice, like revelation from him that this is really right. So after I convinced him that, yes, Dad, I had heard, I got the rhema. Get a little rhema on that. We got their cereal, put a little hot sauce on that. Um, this is funny. So he's like, all right, so uh, this is a true story. I love this. So he's like, well, where are you guys going to go in China? I was like, well, we're going to go to this. Uh, it's one of the fastest growing cities in China, actually. It's called Chengdu. <laughs> Better than Chung don't. Better than Chung don't. That was his response. The, uh, I am so thankful for the countless experiences we've had as a team when we've been stalled at a decision needing guidance, direction, and the Word of God has come alive, either from one of us who read something this morning that was pertinent to that moment, or from the Holy Spirit dropping an address in the Scriptures. Because again, the Word releases confidence. What, what are we supposed to do here, Father? And the Scriptures come alive because they're living and active they speak to us, and they, they confirm a direction or a decision that we need to make. Man, the safety net, the security that comes from living our lives devoted to this word, obeying 
the beautiful word, living and active, rhema and logos word, profound impact, guys, over 15 years as a, as a team, as a leadership team. It's why as we're in this moment, having to be out of this building in six weeks and not having clarity of where we're to go, I'm, we're just not worried. Uh, I'm a little unnerved. I feel safer about that word than worry for some reason right now. Uh, we're a little, I'm a little unnerved. I'm like, wow, but so many instances in which we've not known what to do and his voice and his word come to us. They confirm they bring confidence, they bring guidance, they bring a sense of his leadership. It's fantastic. All right, so the scriptures, dear friends, uh, as Gandhi well put it, is not just another book. It is the only book that has the power to change lives. See, reading the Word of God will bring life to you and will bring a change, but obeying the Word will change your life, and it will change the world around us. It is not just a book of rules. It is not firstly a book of rules. Scrap the word just. It is not firstly a book of rules. It is a story. It is a story about who God is. God arrives in the beginning. God comes again at the end. A story of stories, God joyfully revealing himself to you and I in real time, in real situations, because he's desperate for relationship. He wants you to know who he is. And he wants you to peer into the pages to see how other human beings like you and I that have bad days and good days, that have bad days of faith, that have good days of confidence, follow him. All of it culminating in Jesus who comes as the word, John 1 says, he is the word, he is the word made flesh. He is the scripture set on display in a human form, a God form, <laughs> to redeem and restore all things. And now you and I have the privilege of partnering with him to redeem and restore all things. It is a book of love. They are his words. They are his hope. They are his help to us. You realize that if the New York Times included the Bible on their New York Times bestselling list, it would be number one every single year. They stopped including it because it'd be a waste of print every year. It is a book, therefore it should make the book list, but they stopped including it. There were well over six billion copies of the Bible in circulation. The next closest of any other book is 800 million copies which is the sayings of Chairman Mao and I think the Harry Potter books, by the way. A not close second at all. Six billion Bibles in circulation, 800 million Harry Potters in circulation. Incredible. As a literary work in and of itself, I wanna just speak to a few things about the authenticity, the authority of the scriptures, the belief, why you can trust it, not just because I'm saying it, but because of the uniqueness of the scriptures throughout history and how God has worked hard to preserve it, the words of it specifically. So this is the guy, Bruce Metzger, who is a scholar from Princeton. He said that after you take the 20,000 lines of the New Testament, it is safe for any scholar to say that it is at least 99.6% accurate. No ancient document has the documentary support that the Bible does. There are over 5,000 ancient works. Nothing in ancient literature matches it. 
which means that if you take those 5,000 ancient works and you compare them against one another, they are 99.6% consistent one to another. There is no other ancient book that has that type of literary support. It's incredible the lengths God has gone to to protect the Bible throughout its translations, throughout its history, to give us this reliable book that is living and active. About Jesus, it says there are over 300 prophecies pointing to Jesus as the Messiah. They're all recorded in the Old Testament 400 years before his birth. You with me so far? 300 prophecies about Jesus the Messiah recorded 400 years before Jesus comes. The chances of Jesus fulfilling only 48 of those 300 prophecies by coincidence is one chance in 10 to the power of 157. All of the things that you read about who the Messiah is going to be in the Old Testament, and then all the things that you saw Jesus fulfill in the New Testament about those Old Testament prophecies, the chance of Jesus doing that, even 48 of those, is 1 to 10 and 157 zeros following it. That's unbelievable. That is mind-boggling, and it should be mind-boggling. See, as a reminder for some, you're like, well, yeah, I already believe the Bible. We have, um, respectively, probably two camps, and they're known throughout history. The Hebrew way of thinking is that you believe in order to understand. You already come in believing, and you incrementally understand more about what you believe. The Greek way of thinking is the opposite. You need to understand in order to believe. That's predominantly kind of where we are in the West, right? I don't believe until I understand everything which is, of course, impossible to understand everything fully and completely as it relates to this God and our faith. But, friends, you have a book that you can't just rely on emotionally because it's proved to, like, help people. You have a book that, in the natural, is uncomparable to any other literary work throughout all of history. And it is that way because God is that way. It is that way because God has gone to that length to assure you that you can rely on it as you can rely on him. I hope you take up that invitation. I hope you respond to it and receive it today as not just another book, but as the most incredible life-changing, life-altering book, especially when you put it into practice, especially when you obey and respond to it, yeah? I got time for one more story? No. All right. So the scriptures say about the scriptures themselves. These are my two favorite passages to help us, uh, again, hear what the scriptures say about themselves. It says in 2 Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. All scripture is God-breathed. And in Hebrews 4, God means what he says, and what he says goes. His powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. Nothing and no one is impervious to God's word. We can't get away from it, no matter what. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer made a, uh, a fairly offensive comment, in my opinion. He said, uh, you'll understand why I prefaced it that way. He says, one act of obedience is better than 100 sermons. As a preacher, I'm just mildly offended by that. Uh, I'm not offended by that at all. I completely agree with it. One act of obedience 
is better than 100 sermons. What he means is that you can hear sermons to your blue in the face, to your deaf in the ears, to your butt is fully fallen asleep, but until you respond in obedience, boy, you're just limiting the ability and the power of the word to change and transform your life. Uh, I took a prayer retreat some years ago down to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Sorry, I got parched lips. <sighs> Refreshing. Um, I went down to Tulsa, Oklahoma some years ago to get a little prayer retreat. Uh, our friends at Believer's Church had set up a little uh, house for me to stay in, which was really kind of them. And I set up the first morning with my coffee and journal and Bible and all that jazz. And I begin to pray. And I'm like 30 seconds into praying. And I immediately uh, feel God halt me and bring a friend to mind. And I was like, well, that's weird. So I kind of push the friend aside and I start praying a little bit more. And again, it's nothing. I'm going nowhere quickly. And the friend comes to mind and I feel the offense that I have towards this friend. So I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got to do something about that guy. When I get back, when I get back to Kansas City, I'll do something about it. I go a third time. And the third time, the scripture comes to mind. When you go to pray and you have an issue with your brother, first go and be reconciled to that brother and come back and pray. I think, well, that's... Man, it's a good idea. I'm going to do that when I get back to Kansas City. As soon as I get back, I'm going to go. I'm going to call that guy. I'm going to take him out. It's going to be great. I start to pray again. Oh, Lord, you're so good. So glad to be here. And it's halted, man. And I realize I've got to call this guy. So I ring him up. And I say, dude, I, this is going to seem strange, but about three weeks ago we were hanging out, and you made this comment, and it hurt me. I've just been carrying some offense. I care enough about our friendship to bring that to you, and I know you care enough about me to hear it. I don't know if you remember that. He asks a few questions, remembers it, and, you know, apologizes. Man, that's not what I intended, David. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? Boom, all is well. I hang up the phone, and my heart's alive. It's easy to pray and engage in worship. And I realized that I could have sat through 20 sermons or 100, according to Bonhoeffer, about that particular verse. But nothing would have done the work of it had I not done something about it, right? Nothing like doing something about it will achieve the purpose of the scriptures. It's not there just as a suggestion. It's there as a beautiful command and exhortation to you. It is not just good for you. It is the best for you. Now that scripture means something to me because I responded to it in obedience and said, wow, Father, you meant that when you said it. It wasn't just, again, a scripture we put on a magnet and throw it up there and hope that it does something. It is an invitation from him to say, go and do likewise. It is the best for you. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. You know what that means? If you know who he is, you've seen him, you've heard him, you've trusted him, you've given your life to him, you've fallen in love with him, you trust his nature, his character, of course you're going to obey his commands. Because his commands are not burdensome. They don't come from a heart that wants you to suffer or do bad or to stumble and hit a wall and be embarrassed. No, they come from a heart that is for you. He knew that it was best for me to be reconciled to my friend. He cared about that distance that was being created in three weeks. He wanted there to be a bridge built and love extended. It's best for us to respond in obedience, yeah? And it's not always easy to respond in obedience. All right. 
I can't stop moving my hand here, and it's got to land somewhere. Um, we're going to spend a little bit of time engaging the scriptures with a view to obey them, with a view to put them into practice. The Discovery Bible Study is a tool that we've been implementing around NAVA for, I don't know, five, six years. Our dear friends, Drew and Mary in the Middle East, our new friends, um, why can't I think of their names? Jaffe's. The new, our new friends, the Jaffe's, uh, have been using it. Jim Yost, who was with us a couple weeks ago, uses this and has done so for decades. Uh, the Discovery Bible Study is a way to engage the Scriptures with others that is simple, that is reproducible, that is profound, that leads you not just to mental assent, right, to just understanding the Scriptures, but to actual practical response. I love it. It's amazing. I do it on my own sometimes, but I prefer doing it with others, and we're going to experience it together. So we're going to use Matthew 7, 24 through 27. You can have this ready on your phone. And this is the progression of the Discovery Bible Study. I'm going to leave this up here. In a minute, we're going to break up into twos and threes. Again, if you're visiting with us, the annoyance level is probably now peaking supremely. First hand motions, now talking to strangers. I'm so sorry. This is going to be so good for you. And God is going to meet you. It's going to be great. But it might be awkward as well. Uh, the progression of the Discovery Bible study is read it once and then read it again. Oftentimes when you read it the first time, it just kind of blazes past you like a 747. You want to read it again so that you quiet yourself and you take in the words. Then you're going to ask one another these questions. What does this scripture show us about God? How is God revealing himself inside this passage? What does this show us about man? How do we understand humans like us inside this scripture? What is our tendency? What is our propensity? What does uh, normal people like you and I perhaps struggle with or are challenged by? And then the last one is the acronym SPEC. So within this passage, is there a sin to repent of? Is there a promise to lay hold of? Is there an example to follow, or is there a command to obey? Good? Yeah, the reference, again, is Matthew 7, 24 through 27. Twos and threes, we're going to take, I'm going to say, about 10 or 11 minutes max. I might give you the extra 60 seconds. Um, to go through this DBS, and then I'll pull it back together. We'll land, and we'll call it. Okay, pair up twos and threes. Taste and see, brothers and sisters, that the word is good and that this DBS tool is a vehicle for you to learn, to grow, and to enjoy. Go for it.
All right. I trust that you enjoyed that. Uh, DBS is a tool that we use in our missional communities and connect communities throughout the week. I can't recommend it more highly. I love it, not just because of the depth of it, but also because it's reproducible. It's uh, used widely with those that don't know or follow Jesus yet. It is a simple and accessible way for people to read the scriptures and be given a chance to respond to the scriptures, yeah? We are disciples of Jesus. Jesus obeyed the word. He read the word and he obeyed the word. He included it in his sermons, just did Paul and Peter. He is our example. He's the one we follow. He's the one that we're becoming more and more like as we submit to his word, as we receive it, as we respond to it in obedience. So my blessing to you this week, friends, is that you respond to the word, that you put it into practice, that you try obedience. It's a funny way to say it, that you try obedience. It is so good for you. And I trust that uh, we'll have some sweet testimonies and stories like we did from the last time that we did this, the fruit of following and obeying. I love it. All right, let's stand and grab hands. That is three minutes ahead of schedule. I shall have you know. That's right. I say, I have a watch. I don't know about you, but when you come into a service and you don't see, like, the pastor having a watch, you get nervous. You're like, oh, Lord. Guy has no way to tell time. This is going to be a disaster. I assure you, I got it right there. Courtesy of the good people in Garmin. All right. uh, Let us pray. Love that we close our weeks having read the scriptures, and now praying the scriptures, yeah? We pray our Father's Prayer every week as it reminds us that he is a provider, that he, he forgives, and that he has a kingdom that is coming and that he wants to come through our lives, yeah? Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come.